Welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast. We are grateful for listeners like you. Let's get right into it. Well, welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast. Um, and Tim, it's been a little while since uh, we've hit the topic of um, perception and conflict and the way in which we deal with conflict in relationships, but it's really a fun topic that a lot of people want to know about, and it has a huge impact on the way in which we interact with other people, right? And so our views of them, our perceptions. So psychologists love the idea of perceptions, and so do communication theorists. We do, because your perception is your reality. I mean, how you perceive a person really takes on a life of its own. I was recently doing a meeting where I was talking about perception, and I said, let me give you a for instance just to spike uh, how quickly you can have different perceptions of something. I said, how would you guys all define patriotism? And I got a bunch of different um, answers. Then I, all I did was stuck a, a, a photograph up on PowerPoint of Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem. Chris, it was electric. People are talking over each other. Every hand went up to comment on whether that was patriotic or not. But see, that's perception. Yeah. And it's not like there's a rule book that we go into the end of the rule book and say, okay, what is the actual definition of patriotism? Because what Colin Kaepernick is doing could either be really patriotic or it could be seen as being really unpatriotic. We're welcome to the confusing world of perception and what shapes your perception. Yeah, and, and I think for for you in that experience and, and the audience out there that saw this and, and reacted, it's fascinating, Tim, from a psychological standpoint with the relationships – that the filters that we bring, when I see this, it goes through this filter that I have. And I have to be very careful because I can see a lot of things that aren't there, uh, or I can interpret a lot of things that the other person might say simply because my filter. And so we've talked a little bit about that at different times. And there's a cool couple of studies that people were forced into filters. Like remember the scars study? Oh, yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll talk some about that. But so Tim, then in a situation like that, what happens in close relationships if this is a common uh, you know, reaction that people have, these perceptions that we have, how well, they shape us. We need to step back and understand where did my perception come from, right? I, I suspect if you have a military background, if your grandparents were in the military, if, if uh, some of your siblings were in the military, then you would look at Colin Kaepernick kneeling for a flag that people literally have given their lives for. It wouldn't be hard to understand why I view that as being incredibly insensitive and unpatriotic. Yet you might have other people who say, but I'm an African-American in a community that I feel like police violence is disproportionate, which is the original reason why he knelt anyway, Colin Kaepernick. But all of that is based on your, your personal experience, your upbringing. It's what we call priming. That, that's from psychology as much as from communication studies, is we're primed to see certain things in different ways. Let me give you another illustration. So when I was in college at Eastern Michigan University, uh, we liked to play pickup basketball. So we all learned that there was a huge sale at uh, a place called the Finish Line. And so me and two of my other buddies, we go, and we're right about to walk in, and I stop as if a force field has stopped me dead in my tracks. I cannot walk into the store. My two friends have no problem. They walk right into the store, but they turn around, they look at me, and they say, dude, come on. And I stopped, Chris, there was one person in the corner of the store holding a picket sign, right? Just one employee saying, we're trying to get better wages. Now, 
I stopped dead in my tracks. My two friends had no problems walking in. Why? Because my dad was a factory worker in Detroit. I remember two times the factory went on strike and we would wake up in the morning and there was food, a gift basket of food and milk that the union had provided. And I remember my dad looking at me and saying, son, you never cross another man's picket line. Well, I don't even know what I think about picket lines, right? I don't even know what I think about unions, to be honest with you. But that caused me to perceive it as something I shouldn't do. With the other two guys, totally different background. They walked right through it, didn't think twice of it. Yeah, I I have a similar story growing up. My dad is a police officer, and so I was taught to um, not just love my dad and honor and respect him, but when you had an interaction with a police officer, you did something. In my mind, it was interacting with you. You didn't lie. You 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 kind of they were they were you know trustworthy, or at least they were looking out for your best interest, trying to protect people. And, and they weren't the kind that were out there to harm or to be biased or stereotypical or racist. And so, whenever I interact with a cop, that's what comes to mind. And it's so interesting because even today in this culture, there are a whole lot of people who have very different experiences with the same kind of person. And that brings up a perception in me of a way in which, oh, here's a helpful person. Here's a person I want to know. Here's somebody that's here to protect and serve. And another person does not feel that. So, Well, how does this impact marriage? And again, we're going to talk about marriage, but really perception is the backdrop of all human communication. It could be roommates, family members. It could be anybody. So let me just tell you a quick way that this could affect Um, marriage, and then let's talk about how we actually can become aware of our perceptions and how those perceptions have taken root. So Noreen and I are just married. We're barely making it, right? Uh, We're on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. We're raising our own support. We certainly don't have much supplemental income. So Noreen wakes up one day, because there's just some things that we need. She goes, oh, Tim, there's a flea market. Uh, Let's go to the flea market. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to a flea market. And he's like, honey, there could be some great deals. I said, I, I, don't, I don't go to flea markets. And she was okay, what's going on? Well, growing up, we just didn't have much money. Uh, there was my glasses, Chris, all three of my brothers, we, we, we got glasses like roughly second grade, third grade, all of us. And when our glasses broke, there was no money to fix them. So I can't tell you how many photographs, school photographs, I've got my glasses on and there's duct tape <laughs> holding and my glasses are like totally skewed. <laughs> Because my dad, there wasn't extra money. So my mom would make us go to flea markets and we would get stuff like school clothes and certain things. And I hated, I didn't know much about flea markets. I just knew we didn't have enough money to go to like Sears or Kmart. And and, and that just stuck, right? And so, and, and by the way, flea markets are great and you can get killer deals. My perception of it, though, is rooted in my past. Welcome to Marriage 101. Yeah. I, I think, Tim, what you're defining and, and what really starts to happen is we each have these unique histories and backgrounds, right? And we come in with these uh, ideas. We come in with even these expectations. Uh, but what gets shaped oftentimes during our childhood comes out and why someone does what they do has a lot to do with the very fact that I experienced this. This is what it's supposed to be like in my relationship or in my marriage. Uh, and if a person doesn't share that background or that perception, all of a sudden it comes to the front, right? And now you're dealing with a disagreement or a difference in a, in a pretty, maybe not that quite substantial area, but it seems to hit the other person pretty hard. Yeah. So a quick aside, 
If you're uh, listening to us and you're single and you're thinking about getting married, here's what premarital counseling ought to do. You ought to take an inventory of your background. You need to take an inventory of the place you grew up geographically as well as economically. You need to hear what your spouse grew up with because that is that is affecting you in ways you don't even realize until you get married and suddenly a flea market is off the table because you just associate it negatively. So yeah, know each other's history and family backgrounds is incredibly important. Yeah, I I remember when uh, we were going through that process and trying to learn about each other. And I I think, Tim, it's wise for you to point out for listeners that are dealing with maybe uh, being in a long-term relationship, maybe they're engaged and wanting to get married, knowing as much as you can before that strikes is really important. And that's part of this idea. I remember driving in the car with Elisa and she said, now, Chris, we're about to go, you know, meet this family member. And when we go meet them for the first time, I'm going to tell you, he is going to offer you an alcoholic beverage, a beer, and he's going to offer it to you. And I just want you to be prepared because that's all he drinks. And he, you know, and, and he, she goes, and so what will you do? And I go, well, I would probably drink it. And then I realized, <laughs> based upon her reaction, that was the wrong answer because she grew up where alcohol really wasn't maybe part of the social you know, thing that you did. And it clearly wasn't something in this case that she would have thought was important because she struggled with this particular member of the family who maybe drank too much. So all that to say, I remember looking at her going, or maybe I won't drink it. And, right. you know, and right. it's this idea idea. What is your view towards uh, something like uh, what you shared? What, what is your view towards going to a flea market or what is your view towards alcohol? Helping people figure that out ahead of time is really the key. And ignore what Hollywood says. Hollywood blurs this line constantly. Hollywood likes to suggest it doesn't matter economic backgrounds. Love will cover all of that. So I think of the classic movie, The Titanic, where you get Leonardo DiCaprio, who is below the deck of the Titanic, because that's where all the stowaways are, and that's where people who didn't have money to buy a first-class ticket. But he falls in love with a woman who's on the upper deck, who's actually engaged to a, a socialite, who's incredibly wealthy. Hollywood would say, but it doesn't matter. They love each other. Remember what she says? This is just a crazy line from the movie. Uh, Kate Winslet is the name of the actress. She says, Jack, when I get off this boat, I'm going with you. Even though you have no money to support us, even though my going with you, he's going to cut me off all of my financial background. We will have no money to live on. I know this sounds crazy. That's why I trust it. That's literally a quote from the Titanic. And we want to say, listen, can people from different socioeconomic backgrounds get married? Yes. But it's going to cause massive problems because you've grown up in different contexts of what you think is wasteful or not. And all of that needs to be taken into consideration. So perception is for real. It'd be really good before you marry a person to know what's shaping your uh, perspective the most. So in calm studies... And I would love to hear about psych in a little bit, but I think com studies should go first because it's <laughs> superior. We know that we are bombarded with information on a daily basis, and we're going to have to find ways of limiting our perception because we get yeah. hit. So consider this, Chris. Through the growth of the internet, laptop computers, sophisticated mobile phones, and ubiquitous news programs, we receive five times more information in one day than people did in 1986. 
So using a 85-page newspaper as a measure, researchers found out that in 1986, we received around 40 newspapers worth of information in a day. But today, that has skyrocketed to 174 newspapers worth of information. That's a 200-fold increase. You can't pay attention to everything. So your perception has to be narrowed. And we use this term cognitive misers, just like a miser... uh, is very careful to spend his or her money. A cognitive miser is very careful to spend mental energy interpreting people. So we've got a guy named G.A. Quattrone who came up with a three-step process. First, categorization. I, I meet you and I immediately put you in a category. It could be Democrat, Republican. It could be wealthy, poor. It could be spiritual, not spiritual. It could be handsome, not handsome. Then I put you in that category and then I give it all these characteristics, right? Democrats are like this. Republicans are like this. And then based on that, I can correct my perception, but that often doesn't happen because I don't take time to talk to a person to correct my perceptions of that person. So that's G.A. Quattrone. We use them in comm theory. Categorization, characterization, and then perhaps, hopefully, correction. Uh, Tim, I th- we use very similar. Uh, in fact, cognitive misers is actually a pretty un- uh, common social phenomenon as well, right? Social cognition just simply says we're overwhelmed with information and we can only pay attention to a select amount. And we tend to be kind of more lazy, you know, and so we just really don't want to pay attention to all these other things. And so we really select that which we either most agree with or feels right to us. And we like to hang out with the people. Well, let me ask you this, Tim, and, and, and maybe you'll talk a little bit more about the idea of categorization and characterization and correction. But I have a question. If is there certain kinds of things right away in a relationship? You're in in a relationship right away that it becomes clear that there are something that you either disagree with or you have very different perceptions. In this you know, example from the movie, you have very different socioeconomic standings. Are there some things, however, that are really hard to bridge? And, and I ask you that because... One of the studies I think that's fascinating is that they oftentimes find people from different socioeconomic standings having a much better go at it in a marriage and a relationship than they do. One variable stands out is they almost rarely find people of different political persuasions together in dating or being successful in their dating. It's almost like you rarely find a a blue liberal Democrat dating a very red, you know, conservative Republican. And because it just seems as if it hits at something deeper. So values or it's almost like it can be overcome. Do you think there are some things that people who are maybe in a dating relationship or thinking about have discovered this difference? And are there, uh, are there some that are clear stop signs? You really need to pay attention to this difference. Yes. And we, we talk about snap judgments. I know psych does as well. So when you meet a person, um, you make judgments pretty quickly about this person. So let me go back to college. So I, I met this girl. She was, she was in the same dorm that I was in. She was a piano major, funny, uh, very attractive woman. Um, and we, she kind of liked me, and I kind of liked her, and I thought, wow, this is great. Uh, so think of all the categories I just put her into. Funny, check, love that. Uh, artistic, love that. I was a theater major. She's a piano performance major. That's cool, right? Here is one category, though. I'm super religious, Right? I'm in that category. I'm with uh, a student leader with Campus Crusade for Christ. 
she is in the category of, how, how can you even say it? Quasi-religious, semi-religious, sort of kind of maybe pray before I eat religious. And Chris, it bothered me, right? Because I really liked her. And here she was, and we'd talk about God, and you could tell she was hedging her cards a little bit. Like, oh, no, I think, no, God's great. No, I think that's really cool. Well, do you go to church? No, I don't really go to church. Uh, do you own a Bible? And, you know, nothing. So now there's a category she just got placed into, mm-hmm. right? Now, what do I do with that category? Well, you, you would say, and I, I think a lot of our listeners would say, it, there are categories like that that are really not to be mm, mm. challenged, or maybe there isn't. I don't want to correct that, or I don't want to go through this process of trying. Uh, if I want to become a good friend with this person, that's one thing, but to romantically oh, become yeah, attached, yeah. it feels as if we're violating something pretty much uh, this idea of being yoked together with an unbeliever. And then we think of all these bad stories that we've heard growing up or from the church or from the Bible that caution us against something just like that. So you would say that probably put a quick maybe stop on the relationship or at least a slow stop. Uh, three years later, I broke up with her. No, <laughs> but, but here's what we find out, Chris. That was a great insight. Here's what we find out. So we speak at family life marriage conferences, right? There's a, there's a pre-engaged session. Yeah. So I'm pre-married session. I'm sorry. A lot of these people are engaged. So Chris, I'm at this one conference and there's like, I don't know, 10 couples. So, and three couples stay afterwards to talk to me. So we're, we're talking to him. And uh, one guy, you could just tell he's kind of lukewarm towards religion. I finally say to him, hey, are you a Christian? And he would go, oh, no, I, no, I wouldn't put myself in that category. I look at her. I said, would you identify yourself as a Christian? She goes, well, um, yes, I, I would. Then I go to the next couple, same thing. He, he just is not talking the lingo of religion. And I said, hey, can I ask you, do you go to church? Or he goes, no, I wouldn't. I'm not really in that category. I look at her. Are you a Christian? She goes, uh, yes. Okay, here's what's happened. When you meet a person and you just really like them, but they're clearly not in the same category you are when it comes to religion, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to lessen the category. You're going to say a religious person doesn't have to go to church all the time. A religious person doesn't, these are the characteristic parts, doesn't have to read the Bible, doesn't even need to talk about God all the time. And I'd say to that person, why are you lessening that category? Before you met that person, what would that category have been to you? And I bet you that person would say, oh, it's one of my most important categories. We see that compromise happening all the time, right, Chris? Yeah, I, we do. And, and it, it's a worrisome tip. But let's let's dive into it just a little bit. Why is that so common, I guess, for someone to minimize that? Is that where the heart gets too involved? All of a sudden now you find your emotions so connected with this other person. They, they, they have so many other categories that get checked off. Like you said, uh, kind. They they treat you well. They love their family. They love you. They're good looking. You're good they, together. You're, you're good great together. together. Um, and and many of them then, Tim, I think, find themselves facing this very very painful moment where they're either going to have to lessen how important this particular thing was, religion or my personal beliefs or my values. Um, or they're just going to have to say, like you found with this couple who would say, maybe it's just really not all that important. 
right? Right. Why are, and what would you counsel for someone who's in that place right now? It's to just say, well, there are some categorizations that are really supreme and that need yeah. to filter yeah. out. Okay. So the older I get, the more bold I get at these conferences, Chris. Now, I'd never met these couples before and they had never met me before except hearing me at this conference. So I simply said to them, I said, can I ask you an honest question? Feel free not to answer. They said, okay, these are three couples. I said, are you sexually active? Couple number one, yes. Couple number two, yes. Couple number three, yes. Now, Chris, if you want something that destroys your perspective, mm -hmm. get sexually active, right? The, book, the Song of Solomon says this, right? Do not awaken desire before it's appropriate time. So sex is made to bond you together and bring you close. These three couples, they were all sleeping together. One couple was living together. So I, here's what I said to him. Tell me what you think about this. I said, okay, a couple things. One, the three guys. You need to determine if God's important. You need to determine that outside of this relationship, right? You need to know, is Jesus who he says he is? And if so, what are you going to do with him? Second, and I know this is going to sound crazy, I think all three of you need to stop having sex. Because you should have seen the look. Two of these were Marines. I was a little nervous. Um, I just said, hey, because hey, right now your perspective is whacked, right? You feel you might be closer than what you really are. So I, I just offered him that. I said, I'd go at least six months with, uh, I said, no physical contact. Yeah. And I don't know if they did it, Chris. Oh, but I, you, you, uh, well, <laughs> what do you, what do you think? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. What's the over under? <laughs> Maybe, Chris. Maybe. <laughs> you, I don't think you're that persuasive. Maybe, maybe you're, I a great, PhD you're a great communicator, Tim, but I'm just not sure. But, is it, but isn't that true, though, Chris? Mm -hmm. Come on. That, that's that's oh, such a hard Not only situation. is it true, but I think that's exactly the problem we face with so many couples in relationships is you begin to do this. I think what you do is you begin to not be clear in your judgment or your perceptions about your compatibility. And in fact, the other areas are most likely going to not be, you're probably not going to be as compatible in a lot of areas, but you ignore those simply because the overwhelming sense of right. what intimacy yeah. does is it binds you together, it draws you closer, it creates this unified oneness. And at that point, uh, Tim, I think too many couples struggle with this notion then of what was there before and it was clearly seen, this lack of compatibility, yeah, lack of same, yeah. similar interests. Now it starts to be minimized or hidden, and guess what happens? It comes out again after the marriage ceremony, if not before. But once you are married, all of a sudden it doesn't take long for these couples to go, dear Lord, we don't really have anything in common, or we are completely opposite in this, and I simply didn't want that to be, or I didn't pay attention. And those are the ones that are really hard. Those are the marriages and the relationships, I think, Tim, that struggle a lot. Well, and you know, so let's say, sadly, those three couples get married, right? Here's one thing I can guarantee. If they're having that kind of conflict and now realizing they made compromises, they're not having sex, Right? The one thing that kept them together that made them feel intimate, when there's conflict that, right? I so like what ironic, one guy yeah. said, uh, one writer said, uh, a good sex life starts in the kitchen, not the bedroom. 
if you're having a bunch of arguments about who does what and, and you don't see eye to eye on finances or spirituality, you better believe you're not having hot, passionate sex in the bedroom. That only happens before you're married because you can kind of segment yourself. But when you're married, it's very hard to segment yourself. Yeah. So, so bottom line, Tim, there are a couple of issues. This would be one of those where you would uh, need to pay a lot of attention to that unique differences. That is your spiritual life. And if are you equally matched or yoked in your beliefs, in your love for God, in your desire to know him, walk with him, be a child, be obedient with him, uh, to invest in a church and in a community? And, and if those aren't there, uh, you're really starting to dabble in maybe something that could come back and be a very difficult relationship breaker and barrier. Yeah, and applying Quattrone, I would figure out what categories yeah. are incredibly important to you that you're not going to skimp on. Mm -hmm. Like, what are the categories? Like, yeah. it could be financial. Hey, I'm a saver. Money's important to me. I, I need to feel like I'm being taken care of financially. Or certainly we would hope it's religion. Mm -hmm. And so what are the categories that you don't want to skimp on? Mm -hmm. Then when you meet a person, now, now here's one thing. When you meet a person, you may initially put them in a category, but then their spirituality may look a little bit different than what you prefigured. But after getting to know them, you, you kick into what Quattrone calls the correction stage. You go, okay, they're a little bit different than how I would do it. And that might be a good thing for you, but they do have that passion for the Lord. It just looks a little different from how you do it. Yeah, and some couples find that that's the case where they realize that their partner maybe doesn't worship the same way, uh, they don't enjoy similar experiences, but their their spirituality or their love or their spiritual temperament comes out in serving other people. And they realize, wait a minute, this person does love Jesus. They do, they just in a different way than I do. And that could be a good thing. And it's not necessarily anything to worry about. Uh, or this correction could come in where you realize, wait a minute, I need to also figure out how important is is this to me? How important is my walk? Have I owned this part of my life as much to where I'm willing to sacrifice or give something up and wait? And now all of a sudden, couples are struggling, Tim, I think a little bit with trusting that God has their best interest in mind. How could I potentially give this person up uh, for God when it feels like everything else is so right? And now you're starting to strike at something in their hearts, which is, Ew, how, how, where is God for you? Do you trust him? Does he want you and your best interest in mind? And to be honest, what we have noticed is uh, there are godly women who are uh, awesome, dedicated to the Lord, and then now they're in their mid-30s. They're in their early 40s. And to be honest, they're now looking at a person that they never would have looked at in their late 20s. But now it's like, I'm tired of being alone. I really don't want to do this anymore by myself. We have seen that that t tends to be a disaster. And that's a short fix with long-term implications if you actually marry this person. So that's what premarital counseling is for. Get a good trained person who can look at your histories, how that's primed you, the categories that you've created. Maybe some of your categories are too rigid. That's what a good trained premarital counselor does. And that's why the CMR is we're dedicated to giving people the kind of resources they need to make informed decisions on what, how to shape their perceptions and how to correct their perceptions. Yeah, good. That, that's great. And, and it's a great topic. I, I, in fact, let's keep, let's keep exploring a little bit of this uh, about perceptions and what they do and how they impact our relationships and how they should at different stages of our relationships. What is uh, at the top of the list of things that I need to not compromise on and how do I determine that? What do you think? Should we do that? Yes, we'd love to. 
Thanks for listening to The Art of Relationships. This podcast is only made possible through generous donations from listeners just like you. If you like it and want to help keep the podcast going, visit our website at cmr.biola.edu and make a donation today. 